find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hey, freaky friends. It's Michelle and Melissa from the Freaky Fridays podcast. We are sisters in separate states and love to talk about all kinds of spooky, freaky, and scary shit while drinking and laughing through our fear. Join us Fridays as we delve into everything from the world of the paranormal to scary movies to creepy stuff we find around the internet. Subscribe to Freaky Fridays wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Sleep tight. Make sure you leave the lights on. Freaky Fridays is a proud member of the Podmoth Network. For more awesome pods, check out podmoth.network. The following scene is incredibly graphic and violent. Listener discretion is advised. In the early morning hours of December 31st, 1999, Tommy Lynn Sells was skulking around the trailer home at an acquaintance of his. That of Terry and Crystal Harris, whom he met at the Grace Community Church in San Antonio. Sells was familiar with the home, as he had been there many times for guidance on his struggling marriage. After closing down the local saloon that night, likely not an uncommon thing for him to do, Tommy found himself pulling into the driveway of the Harris home. He knew that Terry was out of town helping a friend move from Kansas to Texas, leaving him with more than enough time and motivation to proceed. He attempts to pick the lock on the back door with a 12-inch boning knife, but when that didn't work, he crept around to the front of the house and climbed into an open window. He found himself in 14-year-old Justin Harris's room, who yelled to, Stop coming in here! thinking it was one of his sisters. The mulleted man leaves this bedroom and begins checking the others until he finally comes across the one he was looking for. In the fourth bedroom, he sees Katie lying on the bottom bunk and 10-year-old Crystal Searles on the top bunk. He creeps over to Katie Harris, cuts her clothes and underwear off, begins fondling her. She struggles to get free, and thankfully she eventually does. However, Sells moves to position himself between her and the door while turning on the light. You cut me! She screams. As she does this, Sells comes behind her, puts a hand across her mouth, slashes her twice across the neck, and stabs her 16 more times. As Katie lie dying on the bedroom floor, Crystal sees Cells now approaching her. Come on. I promise I won't, I won't say anything. Her pleas fell on deaf ears. He slowly approaches her, coldly and calmly says, Put your hands down. And slashes her twice across the neck as well. She falls to the floor gasping for air, clutching at her neck as Cells walks quietly out the front door, taking with him the window screens and wiping away potential fingerprints as he goes. Once again, Tommy Lynn Sells has just gotten away with murder. At least, that's what he thought when he left the trailer. But a few days later, the police would have more than a few questions for him, because Crystal survived, and she remembered everything. What is up? Welcome back to My Second Self and I. My name is Matt, and I am your host. And I am Alex. I am the co-host. 
That is Alex, one of the voices in my head. He might chime in from time to time. You can just ignore him, though. Holy crap, do I have a wild-ass story for you all today. Covering another serial killer that I've never heard of before, but this time I'm like 100% sure that he did the things that they said he did. If you remember last time with old Gerald Stano, there was some discrepancies with his case, those being that there wasn't a ton of physical evidence to connect him to the crimes he confessed to. This guy, on the other hand, Tommy Linsells, is a much more cut-and-dry story. We've got quite a bit to go over today, so I think I should just get right into it after I let any new listeners know that this is also a comedy show. Heads up, um, I'm going to make some jokes here and there and do my best to be entertaining and funny, because otherwise, we would just have to sit with all the disgustingness that is the majority of true crime stories, so I don't want you to feel gross after this is over. I mean, I don't want to feel gross after this is over. I have to read all this stuff and then retain it and then present it to you and then also make it funny in some places. Like, that's a lot to hang on to, so I kind of got to be silly throughout some of this, so just letting you know ahead of time. All right, that's enough lead up to the rest of the story. Let's get on with it. Whoosh away. Tommy Lynn Sells was born in Oakland, California on June 28, 1964. He was one of five children. His mother, Nina, never married, and his presumed biological dad, Joe Lovins, was a used car salesman, though he died when Sells was about 11 years old. Apparently, Mr. Lovins had helped a Mr. William Sells through some money troubles that resulted in Sells claiming Lovins' kids as his own in some kind of elaborate insurance hoax. I don't know how any of that works. And if Joe Lovins isn't the best damn used car salesman in the whole Bay Area, I don't know who else it could be. That man was born to sell used cars with that name. Holy cow. And almost immediately after Tommy's born, we start to run into some problems. When he and his sister Tammy were around 18 months old, they both contracted meningitis. Tommy survived, but unfortunately, Tammy did not. And having that happen at such an early age can't be good for a developing brain either. After his miraculous recovery, Nina decided to send him over to Holcomb, Missouri, halfway across the country to stay with her Aunt Bonnie Walpole. When he was about five, Aunt Bonnie offered to adopt the young Tommy since Nina never bothered to come visit him. It's just such a far drive and plane tickets are so expensive. Wait, what? Adoption? Hell no! Yeah, Nina did not like that idea. Not one bit, no siree, uh-uh, ain't gonna happen. She was super pissed that Bonnie would even bring it up, and so she brought him back to live with her, I think, back in California. At seven years old, here we go, the young Tommy was already on a clear path to scumbaggery, let's say. Refusing to do anything that was asked of him. I just called a seven-year-old a scumbag. You'll see why later, it'll pan out, don't worry. He especially didn't want to go to school. He would go out of his way to make sure that he didn't do the thing that someone else wanted him to do. He also, at this age, is allowed to try booze for some reason when he's hanging out with his grandpa one day. Not the wisest of decisions, I would say. Imagine with me, if you will, for one moment, a drunk seven-year-old who's also a scumbag. What kind of stuff do you think that they're doing? Like, they're... Would he just be playing normal hide-and-seek with the other kids? Like, ollie ollie oxen free. What does it mean I can't spell good? City. S-I-T-Y. This <laughs> right there. <laughs> oh, that is ridiculous. A year later, he starts hanging out with an adult man named Willis Clark. 
He's just some dude that lived in a town kinda nearby. Mom also was weirdly cool with having her eight-year-old have an adult friend. In fact, I think she kind of encouraged it. I guess him being somewhere else was like one less thing for her to worry about. But a full-grown man hanging out with an eight-year-old? No, that's not cool. He's for sure grooming this poor kid, who at the moment, I do still kind of feel bad for. Like, he has not had the best of luck with health or home stability. He honestly hasn't even had a chance to be a kid yet, and Bill Clark is not going to help with that. He bought him lots of presents, gave him spending money, and, and, I don't, eh, Tommy even began staying at his house a little more frequently. Once! One time is too fucking many times, sir. Sir! Sir! You are a grown-ass man, sir. You're not allowed to have sleepovers with eight-year-olds. This isn't Florida. And, surprise, surprise to probably nobody, that this man was later picked out as a pedophile who molested many, 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 many young boys, including Tommy, so now I guess you can dot that marker on chaotic, traumatic childhood bingo. Oh, 69. Alex. What? It definitely wasn't I won. Finally, at the tender age of 10, the burgeoning young alcoholic has transitioned into narcotics. Hell yeah! Smoking dirt weed and raiding his grandpa's liquor cabinet in between games of Red Rover and touch football. Look, this is nothing at all like my childhood, by the way. When I was 10, my biggest concern wasn't when and where to get crossfaded. It was trying to catch the fucking legendary dogs in Pokemon Gold and Silver. What do you mean I can't just fly right to them? Nah, you gotta walk, bro. If you fly, they'll immediately run away. And also, if you do run into them, unless you have mean look or, like, hacked master balls, they're gonna run away. So a big chunk of my time was spent endlessly hurling ultra balls at a make-believe fire dog when I was 10, so very different paths. Back to Tommy. At age 13, he has an idea. It's not a great one, and I'm not entirely sure what sparked this, but he was staying with his grandmother one night, and after she got into bed, he followed in shortly thereafter, got into bed with her while he is ass butt naked. Grandma notices pretty quickly, feet are cold probably, kicks him out of her bed and the rest of the way out of the house for good. Don't you ever come back now, you hear? She kicked him all the way out of the house, didn't like that. Grandma's freaked out and pissed. And to make matters worse, after that, his mom and remaining siblings had either enough of the town they were in, Tommy's bullshit, or... You know, both, probably. And then one day, they all just left town. Just, bye, Tommy. Good luck on your own, you little shithead. Good luck, fucker. See if I see you. A few days later, he shot and assaulted a woman in a fit of hormonal rage. Luckily, though, she did survive. Not entirely sure what happened to Tommy because of that one. Couldn't find any extra details on that. Then, at the ripe old age of 14, Tommy is now officially a wandering nomad, making a living just... Traveling around and doing shady shit, I guess. Until May 1981. He reunites very briefly with his family in Little Rock, Arkansas. Watch out for Shadow Vision. The reunion's very, very brief as Tommy was quickly thrown out of the house after he tried to molest his own mother in the shower. What the actual fuck, man? Like, huh? Moving on. Also, heads up. Not the craziest or most disgusting thing that happens in this episode today. He hasn't even killed anybody yet, as far as we know, and this is 
already insane. Like, buckle up. This is going to get progressively more insaner. Yeah, it's a word. I just made it up right now, so it's official. Insaner. Tommy Boy hitchhiked and train hopped all the way from 1978 to 1999, committing lots and lots of crimes along the way, probably stabbing folks with his hobo knife. He held a slew of menial jobs that were very part-time, including carny, barber, roofer, mechanic, lots of jobs that just people were not signing up to do very frequently. He also drank a lot. He abused drugs like heroin, weed, meth, acid, cocaine, crack, LSD, pretty much just whatever was around. Somebody say drugs, give it to me right now, quick, I need it, give it to me. And that is about all the relevant info I can find on what his childhood was like and kind of how he ended up the way he is. Still not sure, honestly, where I stand on the nature versus nurture debate with this dude. Seems like you could really point to a lot of different things in either column. His mother was extraordinarily neglectful, and he didn't have a great upbringing, moving around a lot, and not a whole lot of support from his family. But also, infant meningitis, very high fevers, could have literally fried his brain before he even knew how to walk, so I don't know. So we're going to move on to a very long list of people that he may or may not have been involved in the death of, and I'll try to elaborate on each of those as I can. There were 22 confirmed murders committed by cells, but there are likely more, just not enough info to go on. He claims his first murder was at the age of 15 in Mississippi. Says he broke into a house and saw an older man with much younger boy, had his you-know-what in his mouth, and then killed him in a fit of rage. And another time in LA, he might have killed a guy with an ice pick outside of a Chinese restaurant. I don't think those are outside the scope of possibility for him, but again, just not enough to go on. So here is a long list of victims either confirmed or thought to have been killed by Tommy Lynn Sells. Buckle up now. There's some really bad ones in here. John Cade was killed with a 32 caliber pistol during a home invasion on July 5th, 1979 in Mississippi. This is that maybe pedophile. Some people say they saw a person matching Tommy's description in the area, but that's all they ever got. Three years later, in April 1982, Joanne Tate was brutally murdered in her home, and her two daughters were also assaulted, but luckily they survived. Seven-year-old Melissa named Rodney Lincoln as the attacker, and he wouldn't actually be exonerated for this crime until 2018 for what was later found out to be none other than our guy Tommy. Holy shit, man. This guy almost 40 years in prison for no reason. We've got to do better than that. July 31st, 1983, a man matching Sell's description is seen leaving a brutal crime scene in St. Louis where Colleen and Tiffany Gill, 33 and 4 years old respectively, ugh, they were found bludgeoned to death in their own home. A couple of years goes by, he's laying low for just a little bit, having a little cool-off period, maybe you know, dipping the pool somewhere. But we are now in 1985, and it is hot AF in the South in the middle of July. Trust me, I live in the South. It's a barren hellscape of heat and sweat. It's awful. We're still in Missouri, but now he's working at a carnival. He's literally a murderous, psychopathic, carny drifter now. And he somehow meets a woman named Ina Court, who was 28 years old. She is out at the carnival having a nice evening with her four-year-old son, Rory. There's going to be a pattern here, by the way. They hit it off, this is according to Tommy, 
and how he retells how this went down. So they hit it off, and then they went home together, you know, for a little bit of brown chicken, brown cow, you know what I mean? Except for when Cells woke up in the middle of the night to find her rifling through his stuff. So in retaliation, he does what any normal man would do. He beats her to death with her son's wooden baseball bat. And also her son, because no witnesses. Ugh. Bodies were not found until three days later. Damn, that's fucking sad. And I don't believe a word of what. I, not for a fucking second. No way. There's no way a traveling carny anywhere spits a fire enough game to pick up a 28-year-old single mom and her four-year-old while working a shift to go back to their house to get down. No fucking way that's how it happened. Uh-uh, I ain't buying it. He probably just saw a pretty girl walking by at some point and thought, <laughs> there's one, or something creepy, I don't know. And he's clearly got a thing for kids at this point, so the dots connected themselves right there. Ugh. What a literal piece of shit. I can't imagine he smells very good either. Like, he's constantly strung out on hard drugs while working outside in the heat all damn day. In the south, like... If an onion was smoking a cigarette while taking a dump. Ew. May 1st, 1987. He took another break from the South after that one, I guess. Eh, I get it. I need a break from the South. And we're moving up on to New York, the Big Pineapple. Home to 64% of the world's total swinger population. That's not true at all. Let's just move on to Suzanne Quartz, 27 years old. She disappeared from a nightclub that night, and her body wouldn't be discovered until 8 years later in 95. Where? At the base of the Niagara Falls, and she was so badly decomposed that there's no telling how long she'd actually been there for. I think I forgot to mention, by the way, one of his monikers, Tommy Lynn Sells, you know how the media does that dumb thing where they give serial killers cool nicknames? His was the Coast to Coast Killer. Him being a traveling nomad with no real home makes him like a 5G data map for T-Mobile. He covers the entire country except for in the most remote mountainous areas. And instead of Bluetooth, he has blue balls. Very nice, Alex. He is now in Lovelock, Nevada, and it is October 15th, 1987, right after another two-year break. Right in line with the serial killer cool-off period. This one's interesting, though. 21-year-old Kelly Stroh went missing from a truck stop. Sells did confess to her murder later on after picking her up while she was hitchhiking one day. He said he'd take her to Reno, watch out for Frisbee and Lieutenant Dangle's bike. Instead of taking her to Reno, they tripped on LSD for a little while together. I don't know, maybe watching the walls bubble. Maybe carpet turns into millions of little Sour Patch Kids. Then he strangled her, encased her body in concrete, and then threw her into a hot spring. Holy shit. If you ever needed a reason to never attempt hitchhiking, I, I don't think you can get much darker than that. Well... No, yeah, actually, now that I think about it, I think you could. There, almost every episode, there's a reason to never, ever hitchhike, so I guess we'll just add that one to the list. Add it to the list. Of agony. The list of agony. It's fine, I'm okay. Next month, I guess Kelly wasn't enough excitement for him. Now he's gonna do, I think, the worst thing out of this entire episode, and I'm including the cold open and attempted mother raping. November 17th, 1987, Sells is hitchhiking and was picked up by Keith Dardine, who took him home to have dinner with the family. How nice. And as soon as they pulled into the driveway and the car was in park, Tommy shoots Keith twice in the head, slices up and mutilates his... you know what, and then shoots him in the head again for some reason. I don't know why he already shot him in the head twice. You need to do it again? What the fuck, man? Then he goes inside the home 
and beats his three-year-old son and his very pregnant wife Elaine to death. And if that's not bad enough, during the attack, Elaine went into labor, gave birth, and then he also beat the newborn with the same blunt instrument he'd used on the other two. Dude, what the hell? I've read through that ten times by now, and it's still... Ugh, what the fuck? This is why I tell jokes during the show, because otherwise you just have to sit with that. Like, holy crap. Like, we're gonna... You know, I need a palate cleanse. Hold on. Did you guys know that the oldest cat to have ever lived was named Cream Puff, and she was 38 years old when she died? Can you imagine having a 38-year-old cat? That's incredible. Most of you probably know I'm definitely a cat guy, and you've probably heard one of them on this show before. Thank you, Tina. So, I mean, that's a reassuring fact for all of us cat owners out there. Or, it could be a terrifying realization if you have a demonic hellspawn cat that thrives on anger in your blood. Four decades of sharp claws and teeth coming at you with no warning in the middle of the night. You can just, you know what? You can just keep the house if that happens. I'm gonna go live in my car. Okay, we're back. December 18th, 1988 in Tucson. Tommy stabs Kent Allen Lawton after a drug deal gone sideways. Kent refused to pay him, I think, and buries him in a shallow grave near a homeless camp. December 9th, 1991, Mariana, Florida. Teresa Hall and her five-year-old were beaten to death with the leg of a coffee table after somebody violently kicked in the door of the home and began raging out. A coffee table leg? Really, man? May 13th, 1992. That's one of my brother's birthdays. Not gonna tell you which one. Fabian Witherspoon, a 33-year-old nurse and mother of three, moved to Charleston, West Virginia without her spoon just a few months prior. She was born in 1972 in Lakenheath, England, grew up on an Air Force base, and graduated high school in Germany. She and her fiancé planned on settling down in Charleston, and when he left to go to Alabama for training for, I think, a deer call whittling contest, her future mother-in-law offered her a little privacy if she would agree to watch her boss's cat in some apartments on Grove Avenue. Sounds easy enough. She agreed. And I, I don't think it was a deer whittling contest. I'm not sure what the training was for that he went to Alabama for. I think military stuff. And you don't really need someone to watch over your cats in most cases. Like You can just put food somewhere nearby that they can get to and you're pretty much fine. They're pretty easy pet, pretty lazy, low maintenance, except for litter boxes, but whatever. This lovely young lady, Fabian Witherspoon, was driving around that day when she came across cells panhandling under an overpass with a sign that said, I will work for food. She said she felt sorry for him, so she took him to her house and asked him to wait outside while she went inside to grab some stuff for him. Such a nice lady, going so far out of her way for a total stranger just so he can have an easier night. But also, kind of a bad move. Like, I'm all for helping out whoever I can, whenever I can, but... I'm probably not letting them in my car, and I'm for sure not showing them where I live. Hell no. When she returned to the front door, he was already inside. Dude, creepy. I told you to go wait outside. So, she goes to the back of the house to go grab something else, and while she's doing that, Tommy sneaks up behind her, goes into the kitchen, grabs a knife, and traps her in the bathroom while attempting to rape her. She fights back, though. She's not going down without a fight. This is my fucking house, so she notices on the back of the toilet seat was a ceramic duck. She thought to herself, in the movies, 
they hit someone in the head and they pass out and then they lose consciousness. So she grabs this duck off the back of the toilet and just starts bashing Tommy over the head with it. Like, fuck yeah, Fabian. Fabian Witherspoon hitting him over the head with her duck. She also wrestled the knife away from him as he was recovering from duck wounds to the head, stabbed him several times, which nicked his liver and his kidney, and sliced up his sack a little bit too. Take that, sir. If only she could have had a few more attempts to take a stab at him. Pun for sure intended. I don't care how you feel about it, but Sells isn't the type of guy to just duck and cover <laughs> when being assaulted, and so he retaliates with a piano stool to the back of Fabian's head. Ugh. I have one of those too now. Mine's padded. I don't think it's, you know, full standard size, but it's still awkward and heavy and has a heavy metal base, so any portion of it being used as a weapon is going to do some damage. Sells ended up in the ICU and arrested, yay, thanks to Fabian. While she survived her encounter, thank God, she did suffer some pretty serious head trauma and a nasty cut on her hand that required surgery and probably more than a few stitches. So he is serving five years in prison for this. He did take a plea, get off a little easier on malicious wounding charge. I've never heard of that, but sounds like it would fit what we just talked about. The malicious in there really makes it sound stanky, and he is diagnosed while in prison with holy DSM-4, Matman. Look at this list of terrifying diagnoses. Good lord. Antisocial, borderline and schizoid personality disorders, substance abuse disorder including opioids, amphetamines, and alcohol, bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder, and psychosis. That essentially means his reality is not in line with the majority of the rest of the population. He also marries a woman named Nora Price at some point in prison. Wow, I am really not fucking trying hard enough. If this guy can get a wife, what, what am I even doing? Hey, cats. What am I doing wrong? Is it... Is it this? Uh, they are of no help. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. He gets out of prison in 1997, moves in with his wife to Tennessee, and that same year, he also leaves her and then goes back to doing the exact same thing he had just been in there for. Which happened on October 13th, 1997. He did not waste any time at all, did he? He breaks into the home of Julie Ray Harper and stabs her 10-year-old son Joel to death while he's asleep, and then he falls off onto the side of the bed. His mother runs in and sees a man in a ski mask and fights him off and then calls the police, but she doesn't know where Joel is at this point. She just thinks something must have happened to him. So when the police show up, they find not only her son on the other side of the bed, but also the murder weapon he used was a steak knife from her kitchen, and the only story she had to go on was that a man in a ski mask was just here, but he ran away, and he's not here anymore, and I don't know what he looks like. And they did not believe her. She was actually arrested for her son's murder, but was also eventually exonerated like Rodney Lincoln from earlier. Two different people that were just trying to live their lives, having nothing to fucking do with this garbage bag of a person, had to do actual long prison time because of his bullshit. What a monstrous human being. And no telling what life was like for them on the inside after being accused of killing children. Even most prisoners don't like the guy that kills kids. Jesus, I'm... I'm really glad that they are out of prison now, but they... that They should have never ever gone in. Holy crap. Two days later, on October 15th, he encounters 13-year-old Stephanie Mahaney, drags her from her bed in the middle of the night, literally everyone's worst nightmare, that's terrifying, 
Injected her with cocaine, didn't know you could do that, raped her, and then strangled her out in the woods. Jesus Christ. I know this has gone on for a little while, but we're almost done with the murders, and then we can get on to the resolutions. So, just a little bit longer. December 14th, 1997, Yvette Sophia Mueller chopped her up with an axe, buried her next to the Snake River in Vegas. That was then swept away in a landfill. Her body was never found. Jeez. April 15th, 1998, shoots a fellow carnival worker, 40-year-old Thomas Bros, to death in his trailer, probably also a drug deal gone bad. April 4th, 1999, Deborah Harris and her 8-year-old son, Ambria Halliburton, met their end at Tommy's hand after he broke into their home, exactly the same way as all the other ones, pretty much. Ambria Halliburton, also, that sounds like one of Roger's characters on American Dad. Ambria Halliburton, decorative glass blower and hand model. Okay, Mary Beatrice Perez, April 18th, 1999, San Antonio. She is abducted in broad-ass daylight and strangled with her own t-shirt in the woods later on. Haley McCone, who's 13, playing outside on a swing set on May 23rd, 99. Sells just walks up and grabs her, does the exact same thing to her as he did to Mary Beatrice Perez. And finally, July 5th, 1999, Kingfisher, Oklahoma. 14-year-old Bobby Lynn Wooford was picked up from a Love's truck stop. Ironic name, not a lot of love happening there. And did the same stuff to her as he did to all of the others. This one including a hatchet and a large caliber revolver. Finally, that leads us all the way back to December 31st, 1999. Right back to the very beginning of the cold open. We already know kind of what happens here. He breaks into the trailer home of Terry and Crystal Harris and kills Katie but the other girl he attacked, Crystal Searles, survived. She thought everyone else in the house had also been murdered, so she walked to the neighbor's house like a quarter mile away with a five-inch gash across her throat. That's fucking incredible. She's ten years old. Thankfully, the neighbors were home and opened the door, took her to the hospital, then they flew her to a better hospital, one I guess better equipped to handle this kind of thing. After surgeons worked on her for hours to repair the damage to her throat, she recovered successfully and was able to identify Cells as the man that attacked her and killed her best friend. Two days later, he is behind bars, and that will be the last time he is arrested. Yay! He finally got this monstrous psychopath. That's a weird thought to have that I just had. Two days into the millennium, when we're supposed to have all been wiped out because of Y2K, one of the worst people to ever exist is finally captured after two decades of terrorizing the entire country, quite literally coast to coast. Fun sidebar, that's what I call it when people order a California roll and a Philadelphia roll at the same time. So during this time, Tommy is living with his second wife. Come on, Matt, get it together, bro. He had two and her four offspring. I wonder if he had something to do with that whole don't trust a used car salesman thing because that's what he had been doing for work this time around. Trial time comes around and after some eyewitness testimonies and lots of evidence, he is convicted for the murder of Kayleen Harris and is sentenced to death by lethal injection. Let's ship him on over to Texas to house him with all the other death row inmates. While awaiting his execution day, he works willingly with investigators, surprisingly enough, and confesses to so many murders, like 70-something murders. I think they only confirmed 22, but he talked about a lot of stuff, like upwards of 70-ish murders. There are lots of interviews with him on YouTube that you can check out if you want to get a closer look into what this guy was really like. He said some 
pretty wild shit in the one that I watched. Like, that he killed kids because he didn't want them to go through the same pain that he went through. Bro, get the fuck out of here with that ends justifying the means BS. Don't cause them pain then, you dipshit. The living part isn't the problem. It's the random attacks by psychopaths. The, why does that not compute? If you want to watch them anyway, they're pretty entertaining, but they can be kind of infuriating too. He is something else. And now every time I do the redneck voice, I'm gonna think it's his hick hillbilly ass because that's exactly how his voice sounds. It's weird. Anyway, he gets to Death Row housing unit on November 8th, 2000, and it's there he will remain until April 3rd, 2014, his execution day. He does not get a last meal, as Texas no longer offers that anymore, and he gets whatever everybody else ate. Boo, that's boring, boo. When prison officials asked him if he'd like to make a final statement, he just said, No. And the drugs were administered until he takes his final breath and is pronounced dead at 6.27 p.m., 13 minutes later. That took a while, but you know what? Whatever. Good riddance. Nobody's gonna miss that guy, and the Harrison Perez families can finally rest easier knowing that he's gone for good. Julie Ray Harper is out of prison, and I think she's doing fine now. After some legal ticky-tack stuff, she was finally found guilty found not guilty, sorry, in 2006 after being indicted in 2000, so about six years, and given a certificate of innocence in 2010. Now, she is an advocate for the wrongfully convicted and seems to have turned one of the most negative things that could ever happen to a person into a positive outlet for others that's been through the same thing. What a badass lady. Hell yeah, Julie Harper. It sucks, and I'm sorry that that happened to you, but good on you for trying to make positive changes. That's awesome. Rodney Lincoln is also out of prison now, but he wasn't as lucky. It took 36 years for all the pieces to fit together enough to be able to release him. He was 73 years old when he was released. And I do apologize, I think I missed this earlier on. He was also the boyfriend of Joanne Tate at the time of her murder, not just some random guy that Melissa had identified. I think I left that part out on accident. My bad, y'all. And as far as I can tell, he's doing pretty okay as well. Fucked all things considered. Went skydiving shortly after getting out. And I think he's even been on a few pods. So, Rodney, sorry that happened to you as well. Truly hope you're adjusting. Adjusting. Yeah, adjusting as best you can. We'll just leave it in. I don't care anymore. Alright, that's all for me today. It's nighttime now. Oh shit, it's nighttime now. I started recording this at like 2 p.m. today. I've got to go edit the rest of this so that uh, you guys can all hear it tomorrow on Monday. Hi, hi from. Uh, let's see, average, let's say 12 hours ago. Hi. If you like how I tell stories on this show and feel like I'm doing me a little bit of a favor, tell your friends about the show. Let them know that I'm over here just doing stuff and that it's entertaining and you should listen to it. Or, better yet, go on iTunes. I just gave my computer screen the finger guns like you can see this. Give me a sweet, sweet five-star review, huh? If I got you to smile today, then you owe me that at the very least. All right. Uh, until next week, everybody, have a great week. Make smart choices and stay kind. Bye.